The following audio is from Life Centre Church. For more information, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. So we are obviously in Daniel because we just read the whole chapter, Daniel 3. Um, if you could add a little bit of English accent to that, we'd just get the, the beauty of all the voices together. It's great having some of our, our people read. Uh, but just, just as a way as a recap for those of us who have forgotten the story or maybe you're new here, um, Nebuchadnezzar is the king of the Babylonian Empire. He's come and he has overtaken the people of God. And basically there, there are many different ways and forms of doing ancient warfare. And the Babylonians have a unique approach to it. So some empires will basically come in and they will expel you. So they would drive out the people from their cities by force, take their land and send them on their way with very little. Others would subjugate. This is what you see with the Egyptians, where they would come in and they would enslave the people and make them their own slave labor. That's what the Egyptians did. They had the Israelites for 400 years just being free slave labor. Uh, what, the, what the Babylonians did, the Babylonians actually went a different route. They went through the approach of assimilation. So what the Babylonians realized was, well, if you expel people or you just make them a, a basically slave labor, um, there's not an actual benefit long term to, to your nation. And so what, what ends up happening, you still have different parties. And so what the Babylonians did was, what we'll do is we'll get you and we will give you an education. We will give you jobs. We will give you money. We will give you houses. And over time, we're going to assimilate you into our culture so that you no longer are Israeli. You are Babylonian. And by doing so, we grow, we increase, our wealth increases, our population increases, and so we actually become a greater force. And so this is what they have done to Daniel and his three mates and also a whole lot of other people, is they've captured them, gathered them, they've brought them in, they've been giving them an education and trying to get them to become Babylonian. And in that, last week we saw that Nebuchadnezzar had this dream, super troubled by the dream. None of his Chaldeans, his astrologers, his magicians can interpret the dream. And he basically says to them, hey, I'm going to destroy you if you can't tell me what the dream is, nor interpret it. And they were like, well, tell us what the dream is, and then we'll give you interpretation. We can go to our manuals, our dream manuals, and we can kind of read and kind of go, oh, this is what the interpretation is, and no one can do it. And the king is furious because he knows the dreams are warning him about his future. The dream we saw is basically of this statue that is kind of like different, made of different things. And the gold part of the statue represented Babylon and it was the head. But there was this stone that was coming through in the dream and it would shatter and destroy this statue. And we we learned last week that that stone was going to be Jesus, that Jesus was going to come. He was going to put into place his own kingdom. It would be everlasting and he will not be able to be thwarted. He will destroy and overthrow every kingdom. And then at the end of uh, the end of the chapter, uh, Nebuchadnezzar actually kind of pays homage to this God. And then straight away we see here in this next part of the story, he then goes on and makes a brand new statue. It's a really, really great, powerful chapter. And so I want to look at just four things this morning that we can learn from chapter three. First thing, number one is in Babylon, worship is the war. How did Neb respond after Daniel's dream interpretation? 
Verse 46 of chapter 2, it tells us that he pays homage to Daniel. He commanded that an offering and incense be offered up to him. This is a form of worship. This is him using worship language and doing worship activities. And the king answered and said to Daniel, Truly your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. So Daniel was saying to him, Nobody can interpret your dreams. Nobody can give you and tell you what the dreams are except the God of heaven who reveals that. And so Neb's like, okay, your God is kind of like a higher God. He's, I acknowledge that your God, but notice he never says my God. Neb is still not convinced that this God is someone that he will serve, that he will worship. And so then what we saw is Nebuchadnezzar promotes Daniel within his courts and promotes Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego over the affairs of the promise. And then we see here this chapter starts off, verse 1, King Nebuchadnezzar makes an image of gold. Hang on, you just heard about a dream which really bothered you where there would be the statue which would be destroyed and that was pointing to this, this God of heaven coming in and you acknowledge that and now he's building a whole brand new statue. Short-term memory, do you think? Interesting, Neb, what's going on here? This, this statue that he makes is nine feet wide, it's about 90 feet high. Basically, you could see it from anywhere in the kingdom of Babylon. And there's this word here, it says, and he set it up on the plain of Jura in the province of Babylon. Why is Nebuchadnezzar building a statue? Well, as Sam was reading that, we were hearing lots of things be repeated, right? The flute, the whatever, and the whatever, and the whatever, and then it just gives you all kinds of music. Just just simplify it and say all kinds of music for us. That would have been great. (laughs) But the way that a writer in the ancient sense wants to get your attention is they will repeat things. So we picked up the repeated language of the different instruments. We, We pick up the repeated language of the different men. But sometimes we don't pick up the smaller things which are repeated. So, for example, this idea of setting up is repeated 11 times in this chapter. The idea that you would set this image up comes out of chapter 2, where Daniel, after getting the interpretation of the dream, says that the God of heaven sets up kings and kingdoms and brings them down. And so what we have here is Nebus had a moment with God where he's like, ah, oh, you're pretty good. And now he's like, actually, I want to see if I can have a wrestle with you. It is a kingdom collision moment. I'm going to start setting something up because you say that you can set something up. I'm going to set something up. So it says it in verse 1, 2, 3, 5, 12, 14, and 18. Nebuchadnezzar is setting something up. The author wants you to see that. But then it also goes on to tell us over and over and over again, not only does he set it up, but he is calling for people to serve these gods and worship the golden image. So verse 4 said, And the herald proclaimed, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages. When you hear the sound of every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image. That gets repeated in 3.5, 3.6, 3.10, 3.11, 3.12, 3.14, 3.15, and 3.18. This is the picture of a collision between kings and kingdoms. In Babylon, worship is the war. Who or what will you worship? And Nebuchadnezzar is saying, you're going to worship this image. 
And so the picture is wherever you are in this kingdom, if you can see the golden image, if you can hear the music, you will bow down. Now, in this particular story, the image, this golden image is never attached to a God. It doesn't have a name. And that's interesting because normally that's what they would do. They would have a particular image or a statue or an idol that is created and they would attach that to a God and say, when you bow down to this, you're bow down to this particular God. They don't do that here. And I think that's because what Nebuchadnezzar is saying is we are a pluralistic society. You can worship whatever God you want as long as you also worship this one. See, this is a pagan pluralistic society. Notice that there were people from all nations and languages, right? This is the idea. We've captured people from here. 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 And we're saying, oh, you can keep your gods. You, you, you can be a Christian. That's fine. As long as you also affirm this sexual ethic. As long as you, you, you can be a Christian, you can have your faith. But as long as you also recognize women's rights and it doesn't matter how long that particular fetus or embryo has been in the womb it's it's her right just so you know this is me trying to say we're in babylon right you can have your faith but but you also need to bow down to this is this this sounding familiar at all as long as you wear this jersey as long as you wear this lanyard church we're in babylon and our culture is going to say it's okay for you to have a faith it's okay for you to be christian we don't care if you go to church on sunday but you also must which is to really say we're not pluralistic and you can't have your faith because to say yes to something is to say no to something else or namely someone so the goal here is to assimilate these men intellectually. We're going to give you an education socially. We're going to give you cultural jobs. But eventually we are going to get you spiritually and you will bow down to something that we say you're going to bow down to. This is saying worship your God and worship God plus. And these men are going to say we worship God alone. This is what Tim Keller says. It's gotten very quiet in here very quickly. This is what Tim Keller says. He says, all great pluralistic societies or cities, Babylon, Rome, New York, Brisbane, do the same thing. The pressure is the same. What all pluralistic societies say is you can privately worship the way you want, but in public culture, you must be like everybody else. Do not think that your religion has exclusive claims. You can be religious in any way you want, in private, if it helps you, but in public, you have to be like everybody else. This is how all pluralistic societies work. It always seeks to assimilate you into the public culture by making you privatize your faith. All pluralistic societies put the pressure on us to assimilate to the public culture by privatizing our faith. And Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego have none of it. See, we, we don't bow down to... Statues, right? I mean, maybe some of you do and I don't know, but most of us don't bow down to, to statues. Okay? But that is not to say that we do not have our idols. See, for some of us, the, the temptation is not to bow down to a nine-foot, 90-foot 
statue of gold, but maybe to bow down to the four-bedroom, two-bathroom and make that our God. It's getting quieter and quieter. Maybe it's to bow down to the six figures and take that job. Maybe it's to bow down to getting the platform, whatever it is, you and I attempted like these men to bow down. And the call of God is, don't worship any other God. Worship me. Keep me at the center. Keep me in your heart. Let me be the king of this place. Nothing, no one else to have that place. And Babylon will say to us over and over and over again, just bow. Just bow. So number one, in Babylon, worship is the war. Number two, in Babylon, the heat will get turned up. So when when the time comes for these men, notice that these three men just stand and refuse to bow. No spectacle. They don't have this, this rage about them. They are calm. And they're just standing up in civil disobedience and going, we cannot. No outburst, no protest. It's much like the, the men in Acts 5 where they're told to stop preaching the gospel. And they turn around and say, look, we have to obey our God. We are sorry. And then look at, look at the heat getting turned up, right? So therefore at the time certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. Now just so you know, if you weren't here last week, these are the men that Daniel stood in the gap for and saved their lives. The, the king of King Nebuchadnezzar was going to tear them limb from limb. And Daniel said, don't kill them. And now as soon as he won't bow, they are seeking an opportunity to get closer to the king because that's where he got promoted. And they are going to maliciously accuse the Jews. They recite the king's decree back to him, reminding him of what he had said. And then verse 12 says, there are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon. That Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, these men, O king, pay no attention to you. And notice the language, they do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. So Nebuchadnezzar answers, comes to them, says, is this true? You, you don't do this? Is this true? Like, you don't do that? And then look, look at the question that he says. Uh, but if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into the burning, fiery furnace. And this is the question of every generation. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? I'm saying this. I'm going to do this. You better hope your God's good. Because who's going to... Do you see how he's putting himself and pitting himself against Yahweh? <laughs> Just so you know, that's never good. Bad, bad idea. Verse 19, the Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury and the expression on his face was changed. I've had moments as a dad where the expression of my face towards my kids changed. And my kids were to, to see that disposition change and realize they shall right now change their behavior because this has changed. The look has changed. Even what we call you has changed because now it's not just like your nickname or even a little part of your name. We've just given you the full name. Changed behavior. This is what Nebuchadnezzar is doing. 
Nebuchadnezzar's face is changing and he's saying, you see this? This is bad for you. Don't do that. Do this. He is amping up the pressure. He orders the furnace to be heated seven times. This is a euphorism to saying that he's going to heat it up as as much as he can. And what he says to them essentially is, look, I'm, I'm happy with you. I've given you the education. I've given you a job. Like, I'm, I'm, we're cool. Have your God and. All I'm asking you is the and. I'm not asking you to give up your God. I'm not asking you to, to deny him. I'm not asking you to give away your faith. But I'm saying, and this. And if you don't do this, fire. <laughs> so you're not really saying that, then are you Nebuchadnezzar? You can have your faith as long as, which really means I can't have my faith culture. That's what you're saying to me. God and, God plus. I'm just asking you to affirm a couple of things. I'm just asking you to to sort of say these things and and, and go with the flow on these things. I'm just, I'm just, we're just asking you not to be bigots. You know what I mean? And the men basically say, well, we can't do that because to do that would be to not worship God. And so Nebuchadnezzar says, well, since you're not going to do that, I'm going to turn up the heat. In Babylon, the heat gets turned up. Now, we have lived in a very, very comfortable Christian culture for a long, long time, and that is changing. I don't know if you've noticed that. Things are changing. Um, we had Shane Paxer preach here early in the year from the Ukraine to just encourage us. Things are shifting. Be ready. It used to be very easy to be a Christian in our country. That is changing, church. It's not easy. It's easy to have a private faith, maybe, but to be public, it's getting harder. That's the reality. But the thing about fire in the Bible is the fire in the Bible is either associated with judgment or refinement, and what determines that is your relationship to God. In the New Testament, fire is often used as a metaphor for trial. So 1 Peter 4.12 says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though you were uh, something strange were happening to you. And it goes on to say that we will be eventually, this is verse 6, it says, In this you rejoice, that now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. Listen to this. So the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor. So fire is either representing judgment, but for the believer, for the Christian, it's never judgment. It's refinement. It's purification. It's, it's a test, and we come out of the test being refined. And so Nebuchadnezzar sets up an image He tells everyone to worship and these boys refuse to bow. And here is Nebuchadnezzar believing that he holds the match to this fiery furnace. Number three in Babylon, courageous faith is our anchor. See, when the when the fire comes in culture, we only have one weapon. 
maybe maybe a couple, right? It, it's worship and it's faith. As we trust in God and look at these men. He says to them, but if you do not worship, you should be immediately cast into the burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? And then in verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, after being confronted, say this to Nebuchadnezzar. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. Listen to these words, right? If this be so, that you're going to do this, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. Listen to these words, such important words. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Now, now this, is, this is not just defiance towards Nebuchadnezzar, right? This is actually defiance towards the whole way that a pagan would understand any type of relationship with gods and religion right this is this is the way so so in a pagan sense they have what we call parasitic relationships with the gods okay that is gods do things for them they do things for god so god says make sacrifices we make sacrifices but you are going to do something for us and so this whole language that we believe god can we believe he will but even if he does not is foreign to the pagan mind because it's supposed to be this two-way relationship. He does, like the God does something for you, you do something for him, and it's kind of like this mutual parasitic sort of relationship. And what, what these guys say is that's not how it works for the, for the God of Israel. This is not he does something for us, we do something for him, because we don't worship him because of what he does. We worship him for who he is, and he is God of heaven, so therefore we worship. And this is, this is hugely important. Hugely important to our faith. Because so many of us have had this moment. If you've been a Christian for a while, you've absolutely had this moment at some point where you have prayed, you have worshipped, you have attended church, you've done things. And you have asked God for certain things to come through for you. And he didn't. And then you attempted to no longer believe in him. To trust him because he didn't come through in the way that you needed. Right? I've had this many, many a time where I'm asking God, please, Lord, please, Lord, please, Lord. And then for some reason in his providence, he said no. And in that moment, I was tempted to go, well, I don't know if I can trust you anymore. Which is to say to God, I only trust you for what you do for me, not for who you are. And true faith, deep faith, is not rooted in what God does for us. It is rooted in who he is, who he says he is, and what he is saying about himself. And this is what Nebuchadnezzar says about them in verse 28. He answers them and says, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. See, they said, we believe God can deliver us. We believe he will deliver us. But even if he doesn't deliver us, we will worship him because we worship God based on who he is, not what he has done for us. See, they don't box God in. 
They don't say God is only good when God answers this prayer. They say God is good regardless because that's who God is. When you are going through the fire, this is when your faith gets tested. What are you trusting in? Who are you trusting in? See, some people say this isn't faith because they haven't sort of declared it. They haven't named it and claimed it, blabbed it and grabbed it and all that sort of stuff. Right? So you just like, he said this, so that means this. And it's like, no, no, no. We trust God with everything. And we don't just trust that he's good. We trust that he's sovereignly good. Which means we recognize our state that we may know not, not know what is good until later. Until we see later. And some of us, we're not going to see the end until we get to heaven and God shows us the whole picture. And we're like, wow, if I had seen all that, if I could see all that, I would have known. And this is where the faith is the anchor. Because we serve a God who does know all things, sees all things, and is sovereignly good. And so we are not worshipping, we are not putting our faith in God plus answered prayer. God plus miracle God plus spiritual breakthrough. We are worshiping God because he is Yahweh and nobody else sits on the throne but him. So we worship him. And he shows us through many things that he does do and confirms that he is good. But even if he didn't, he is still good. And he will be proven to be good. So these men say it is not God plus, it is God period. God alone. We worship him. Whether he does this or doesn't do this, we know him. We walk with him. And our faith is in him, not you or your statue, him. And that is a hard place to get to. (laughs) But as we see the story, they are spiritually fireproofed well before they are physically fireproofed. The real miracle is what has actually happened in their heart, that even if he does not, this is a predetermined response. We will not worship your gods. We will not do what you ask. And their faith has anchored them for this moment. And number four, in Babylon, God is present, even in the fire. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? You're about to meet him. Wait till the next upcoming chapters. Nebuchadnezzar is about to meet God. Nebuchadnezzar already learned things about God. He's learned that the Jews call him the God of heaven. He is the one who gives dreams. He's the one who gives interpretations of dreams. But something that is very, very different between the, the God of the Jews and these pluralistic gods is seen here in this story. Because again, in a pagan world, gods aren't with people. They're deities that live up there somewhere and we are having some type of parasitic mutual relationship where you do things for us, we do things for you, but you're way over there somewhere. But not our God. Our God is not up there, out there. Our God is down here with his people. This is who he is. He is the present God. Now, when when we go through the fire... Are we not tempted to believe that he has abandoned his people? Yeah? When you go through hard times, is the cry not, where are you, Lord? For me, like I've seen you do that for them. I've seen you be there for them. But what about for me? And this is the promise of the God of the Bible, that he is with his people even in the fire. Nebuchadnezzar 
gets astonished. He rises up, it says, in haste, and he declares to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? And they answered and said to the king, true, O king. And he answered and said to them, well, why in the world am I seeing a fourth? As you were hearing the story, even as the men are throwing them in, they're dying. They're getting burnt up. And these men are thrown in. And he says, but I see four men unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And he says, and the appearance of the fourth is like the son of the gods. Later on, he's going to say it's an angel of the Lord. This is Nebuchadnezzar saying, I don't know what the heck that is in there, but it's something deistic. It's something otherly. It's not, it's not them. I've seen, they're unbound, but what, who is that? Was this an angel? Is this Christ? The story doesn't actually tell us exactly. Many people believe that this is like Jesus in the fire. Others say, no, it seems to be maybe it's just an angel of the Lord. But either way, the point is the same. It's God somehow, some way with his people in the fire. This is the God who we serve. This is who he is. See, being present is not just something God does. That's who he is. And it's been that way from the very, very beginning. What is he doing with Adam and Eve in the garden? It says he's walking with them in the cool of the day. When we sin, it is hard for us to believe that God wants to be with us. When we are going through trials, it's hard for us to believe that God is with us. But this is the God that we serve, that he never leaves nor forsakes his people. So right now, I don't know where you are in your story. I don't know what is going on in your world. But if you are a Christian, if you've put your faith in Jesus, here's what Jesus promises. Here's what God promises for you. He is right there with you in that fire. Whether you see him or not, whether you believe that's true or not, that is true. Because God's promise is he will never leave nor forsake his people. And this has been the story of the Bible. Exodus 3. Speaking to Moses as they're on their way, he says, I am the God of your father. I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. That's God's way of saying, I covenanted to be with the people. I've always been with the people. Now he goes on to say, I will certainly be with you. Isaiah 43, 2, I will be with you when you pass through the waters and when you pass through the rivers. They will not overwhelm you. You will not be scorched when you walk through the fire and the flame will not burn you. Matthew 28, Jesus, some of his last words, all authority has been given to me. Go and do this incredible mission of making disciples all around the world. And the last part, and I will be with you. One of my favorite verses, Romans 8, 37 to 39. No, in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is Christ Jesus our Lord. Hebrews 13, 5, I will never leave you nor abandon you. And 1 Peter 4, 12 to 14, dear friends, do not be surprised by the fiery ordeal that comes upon you to test you 
as if something unusual were happening to you. Instead, rejoice as you share in the sufferings of Christ so that you may also rejoice with great joy when his glory is revealed. For if you are ridiculed for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Listen to this, because the spirit of glory and God rests on you. The Lord did not prevent them from going into the fire. What he promises is he will be with us in the fire, will walk us through the fire. That is the promise. And as the band come up, this is the God that we serve. And as we sing and we're about to take communion, this is what we learn about God. Is he is the God who walks with his people. So if you right now are struggling and going through stuff that's in your life, if you feel like you're in some sense of fire and you are a Christian, here is the promise. God is with you. Put your faith in him and trust him that he is with you. Because that is the story of this entire book, that God is always with his people. And at the end of the book, God's own message, when all of the people of God are with him in heaven, is that these are my people. I am with them and they are with me. And we ultimately serve a God who went into the fire on our behalf, right? That he went to that cross and he died our death on our behalf and he went into the depths of hell and he conquered Satan's sin and death and then he rose again so that you and I would not have to. And then he was with his people again and he is bringing us home again. So church in Babylon, the war is your worship. Who is your God? In Babylon, the heat is going to get turned up and is being turned up. But in Babylon, our faith in this unmovable, unshakable God is our anchor. And in Babylon... Our God is present with us, even in the fire. That's the story of Daniel 3. That's the message of Daniel 3. And you can take that and you can hold on to that because God will never leave you. He'll never forsake you. Amen? Amen. Let me leave you with an old hymn. It says, When through the deep waters I call thee to go, the rivers of woe, shall not the overflow. For I will be with thee thy troubles to bless and sanctify to thee thy deepest distress. When through fiery trials thy pathway shall lie, my grace all sufficient shall be thy supply. The flame shall not hurt thee. I only design thy dross to consume and thy gold to refine. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Life Center Church located in North Lakes. We exist to make, mature and multiply disciples in communities that depend upon, declare and display the gospel of Jesus Christ in all of life. If you would like more information about us, please visit lifecenterchurch.com.au. We provide our podcasts free of charge. Please feel free to download the content and share it with others but please do not edit or alter the content in any way without the written permission from the leadership of LCC.